you're able to remain standing, please remain standing. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me here this evening to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter here this evening, verse 36. We hear now the word of God. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday evening, we finished up with the conversation that Nicodemus, the Pharisee, had with the Lord Jesus as Nicodemus came to the Lord at night. We saw how Nicodemus did not understand when Jesus said, you must be born again. And the reason he did not understand was because he had not He did not understand the witness that God had given of himself. And so Jesus declared that witness to Nicodemus. It was the love of God that caused him to give a testimony of himself. He has done so in creation. He has done so in the pages of Holy Scripture. He has done so in these last days in the life of his son. We saw as well the love of God calls God to give the perfect gift for man's salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His only 
Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we ended up last week being shown that God is love, but He is also a God of justice. He is both love and justice, mercy and wrath. And our tendency is always to focus on the love and not the justice, or even sometimes maybe just focus on the justice and not the love. And so tonight we come to the end of this chapter. And this is a passage deserves very special attention because what we find as part of our text tonight is the last testimony of John the Baptist concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We read tonight that John had not yet been put in prison. We know that he will be. He will be put in prison for speaking out against Herod. He will have his head separated from his body as Herod seeks to please his stepdaughter. But here we have the last words of John the Baptist concerning the Lord in John's Gospel. And we see that John, as he was at the beginning, he is towards the end of his ministry. He is the same faithful minister of God. At the end, he had the same views of himself and the same view of Christ. Now what prompts John to give this last testimony of the Lord? Well, we see it is petty jealousy and a party spirit among his own disciples. Now that exists even today among professors of religion and even among Christians and in the church. There can be petty jealousy and a party spirit. All of us, we have been envious or jealous of others. Maybe over their success or their riches. We know jealousy and envy on many different fronts. We know what it means to be jealous or envious. And so John the Baptist in that final witness to Jesus, he properly shows us godly humility. And he points us again to Jesus Christ. That's why he came to point others to Christ. And so the more sanctified we become, we will say all the more what John the Baptist says here tonight. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. And so there are three things I want us to look at here tonight. The first is that petty jealousy of John's disciples as we see that in verses 22 through 26. Verses 22 through 24 gives us the context We find Jesus and His disciples, they go into the Judean country, countryside in Judea, and there they are. Jesus is with His disciples, and they are baptized. But John also is nearby, John the Baptist, and he too is baptizing. There was much water there. It was plentiful. That does not mean that John the Baptist immersed anyone. But there he was giving his baptism and people were coming and being baptized. Again, John had not yet been put into prison. And so surrounding that, there is a discussion between some of John's disciples and a Jew who is unnamed over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to Him. 
Now these are the disciples of John who come and say this. They say, well, Master Jesus is over there and, and everyone is flocking to Him. But here you are and no one is coming to you. It's much like the, the minister who has a small church compared to the one across the street or across town who has the big church. And there's a real danger there. There was a danger of John's disciples. There is jealousy found in the disciples of John. They were more concerned with the fact that the, the ministry of Jesus was flourishing, but at the same time, it seemed like their own master's ministry was, was falling away. And John the Baptist was beginning to take a back seat to the Lord, and John's disciples did not like that at all. Now John Calvin says this, the expression which they use, all men come to Christ, is the language of envious persons and proceeds from sinful ambition, for they are afraid that the crowd will immediately forsake their master. Instead of seeing what was happening there in redemptive history, they were jealous. Now in their minds, they probably thought their jealousy was good. They were jealous for the sake of the glory of John the Baptist whom they followed, who they sat under his teaching. But this is petty jealousy. And we see that in the disciples of John. And we need to understand jealousy of this sort can destroy the church. Now, there is a good type of jealousy. We hear of that in, in Exodus 20 and verse 5 when God tells us we are not to bow down or serve idols. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. That, that is the jealousy of God for His glory. We, we saw a few weeks ago that same type of jealousy that Jesus had for the glory of His Father when He went into the temple and He saw it being used as a place of merchandise. He took a whip of cords and He drove out the money changers and those who are selling the animals. There is a, a godly type of jealousy that is good, but that is not the jealousy that we see here this evening. The type of jealousy that we see is the type that consumes a person. J.C. Ryle put it this way, nothing so defiles Christianity and gives the enemies of truth such occasion to blaspheme as jealousy and party spirit among Christians. And he's right. This is what Paul found in the church of Corinth. Remember his first letter when he wrote to the church that we studied a while back. He, he said to them, well, some of you are following me, others Apollos, and then you have the Jesus party. They were all at odds with one another and they were splitting the church. And, and Paul had to write not one, but two letters to correct them. Proverbs 14 and verse 30, we read, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And so that type of jealousy that the disciples of John had, they, they were not emulating their master. And that takes us to the second thing that we see tonight, and that is the humility of John the Baptist. John the Baptist could not be a preacher or minister of a megachurch. 
He doesn't have the right attitude for it. Now this is the second time that he was presented with the opportunity to take glory for himself. The first time was found back in in John chapter 1. Turn back there for a moment. John 1, beginning at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now there was a real temptation there for John the Baptist to say, Yeah, I'm I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you're looking for. But he understood that he wasn't. He understood his role in redemptive history. And tonight, at the end of his ministry, as that ministry is concluding, he has the same temptation. He could have taken glory for himself. He could have recognized that he was not, that he, he, John recognized and knew that he was not the Christ, but the one who prepared the way for Christ. Look at what he says in verse 27. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John the Baptist recognized and bowed to the sovereignty of God. He understood that unless someone received a revelation from heaven, unless someone received that gift, then he cannot receive anything. John the Baptist had received that. You remember... When he was in the womb of his mother. And the, Mary, the mother of Jesus, came. And, and what did the Baptist do in the, in the womb of his mother? He, he started leaping for joy. I believe it is safe to say that John the Baptist was regenerate from the womb. And even in the womb. But he recognized the sovereignty of God in, in having him where he was at that moment in time, but he went on in verse 28 You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He reminds his disciples who are tempting him to take glory for himself of that previous statement. John the Baptist was sent to do what? To prepare the way of the Christ, to prepare the way of Jesus coming on the scene. And here Jesus is on. The scene, and John recognizes that, and he knows that very soon he will fade into the shadows. He goes on in verse 29 The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John is not the groom, he's the best man. And he has seen the groom come and take to himself his wife, the church. And he recognizes that and he is rejoicing as the best man does. He rejoices when his friend gets married. And here, John sees that with the Lord. And so he says, this joy of mine is complete. Why? Because there is Jesus ministering publicly. John has done his job. It is time for him to move on. 
And that is why he says in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, that is humility. John the Baptist recognized that the time for his ministry was drawing to a close. He had done his job. He had done it well. People were flocking to the Lord Jesus. And so John will fade away into the shadows. We know that, again, he will die for the sake of, the, of Christ and the gospel. And there is no prophet like that of John the Baptist. That is the testimony of Jesus himself. There was not one before nor after John the Baptist. He did the job that God sent him to do. He proclaimed the way of the Lord. And then the rest of our text, John, not the Baptist, but the apostle who writes this gospel, proclaims to us the authority of Christ. In verse 31, he says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. You see, John the Apostle is merely now giving testimony to what John the Baptist had said. And he is, he is showing everyone who reads this gospel that Jesus is that one who came from heaven. His authority is, is divine authority. It is that authority that comes from above as he goes on. In verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. John testifies to the fact that Christ has authority, for he is divine. Again, Arthur Pink said this, but our Lord Jesus Christ knows heavenly things by his own perfect knowledge. For he hath ever dwelt in the bosom of the Father. Christ knew the mind of God, for he is God. And that's one of the main concerns of this gospel, isn't it? To reveal to us the deity of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is a man, but he is God. As we learned in the first chapter, he is God come in the flesh. He is the word of God that has come and tabernacled among us. And, and he bears witness to his divinity, yet no one receives that testimony. In verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus had the Spirit without measure. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed in ways that, that no one else has ever been anointed by the Spirit of God. It was a spirit that drove him out to the wilderness to be tempted. But yet it was that same spirit that sent angels to minister to our Lord after that temptation. And so Jesus has given to man the perfect testimony of God. And then we hear the love that the Father has for the Son. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Now the Father has always loved the Son. They've always existed and coexisted. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know in eternity past that they, that they entered into that covenant of redemption together to, to save a, a portion, I believe a, a great portion of, of sinful humanity. 
God the Father chose those who would come to the Son. He sent His Son to be that perfect sacrifice for sin. God the Son agreed to come to this earth and be that perfect sacrifice uh, for sin. And, and God the Holy Spirit agreed to take that salvation which Jesus accomplished for His people and apply it to their heart. There is a perfect love between all three persons of the Trinity. And the Father has given all things into the hand of His Son. We know that all authority has been given to Christ. On heaven, in heaven and on earth. That was what Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 28. As He gave not only to them, but to us the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the triune God, teaching them to observe all things of which I have taught you. We know tonight as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father that all things are under His authority. He is King. He is Lord. He is ruling over all tonight even though we do not see Him. And then we hear the, the Gospel itself in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in Christ has eternal life. When does that begin? The moment they believe. The moment a person comes to faith in Christ, they have eternal life from that moment on. Their spirit will live with the Lord after their physical death. <clears throat> and one day they will be raised and joined together with that Spirit to <coughs> live with Christ forever. And the new heavens and the new earth. But the one who does not obey, the one who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on Him. You see, Jesus is the only one that can take that wrath away from us because He suffered the wrath of God on behalf of His people. And so what application can we make here this evening? Well, first of all, let us understand and I hope we see that jealousy or party spirit can destroy a church. Again, what have we to be jealous of? We're all sinners saved by grace. Yes, we think too highly of ourselves many times because that is in our nature, but we really have nothing to be prideful about. The church is nothing more than, than, than sinners being saved by the grace of God, coming together to worship Him when we deserve to be cast into hell. That is what the church is. And we're not to be jealous of one another. We're not to, to have that party spirit in the church. Jealousy should not be found among Christians because Christians should be the most humble people on the face of the earth. Now what leads to jealousy? Well, our thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Our thinking more lowly of someone else than we ought to think. And so we are not to be seeking the glory for ourselves, but for Christ. Again, that's why John the Baptist could never pastor a mega church. Because who are they seeking the glory for themselves? 
They're not seeking the glory of Christ. They're seeking the glory of themselves. They're seeking the enrichment of themselves. The more people they have, the more money they make, the better cars, the, the, the planes they can have, right? The, all these worldly things they can have as they seek glory for themselves instead of Jesus. Such churches are not true churches, but as the confessions say, synagogues of Satan. The second, we have an example of godly humility tonight in John the Baptist. Like him, we too must bow to the sovereignty of God. And we don't like to do that. Why? Because we want to be God ourselves, right? That, that was our first parents. That's the sin they committed. They, they followed after Satan. That was his sin in heaven. He wanted to be God and thought he could overthrow God as a created being. And God reminded him, Satan, you, you are a, cre a created being. I am your creator. And he kicked him out. But he brought that, that same spirit to our first parents and they bought it. He said, did God really say this? Did God really say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And he cast doubt on the word of God. And he does that tonight. And yet we know we are to bow to the sovereignty of God. We know he is in control. We know... That he raises men up to, to pastor and as, as ministers and, and elders to lead his church. John the Baptist recognized his role in redemptive history. And he would not go beyond what God had called him to do. Second, we too must be reminded that we are not God. And we should not try to play God. Again, that is our temptation, isn't it? To play God, to say to God, you know what, I think I have everything under control. We try to cast off the restraints of God. We, we fail to realize and, 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 and remember that creator-creature distinction. Now what is that? Well, it's this. God is always creator. We're always His creatures and we always answer to Him. Even as His redeemed people, even as those whom He has saved through the blood of Christ, we will never be God. We do not believe in the new age theory of, of us being little gods. We will never be God. We will always be creatures of God, made in His image, saved by the blood of Jesus. But we will never elevate any higher than that. And then we too must affirm the joy which comes from knowing Christ and Him crucified. John the Baptist had such joy. The joy of knowing Christ. The joy of testifying of Christ. That's why he could say, I, He must increase, but I must decrease. See, one thing the gospel does, it humbles us. You know, we are also a prideful folk. We love to tout our accomplishments, do we not? We love to tell people how great we are. But what does the gospel tell us? You're not great. Actually, you're very sinful and there's nothing you can do in your own regards to get you to heaven. It humbles us. When God brought us to faith in Christ, that's the first thing He did. He humbled us to the dirt. And He said, you are not what you think you are. All you are is a hell-bound sinner deserving of my wrath. 
And the only way that you can be saved from that is by humbling yourself and, and placing all of your faith and trust in my Son. And by His grace, many of us have done that. And because of that, we hear what John the Apostle says. We have believed, and therefore we have eternal life. We have life that will never end. Life that will never come to a completion, at least spiritually speaking. We will always live in the presence of Christ. But then there's that warning as well, isn't there? Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now what are we to obey? The Gospel call. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You and your children. That was the call that Paul and Silas gave to the Philippian jailer after that earthquake hit the jail and he thought they had escaped and was about to take his life. He saw the power of God and, and God moved his heart to say, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and Paul and Silas told him, believe. Believe in Christ and Him alone. And you have life. But if you do not believe, then the wrath of God remains upon you. And if you never come to faith in Christ, that wrath will remain forever upon the soul of the unbeliever and eventually upon the body that will be raised at the last day as well to suffer the fires and torments of hell forever. Now again, we don't like to think of that because again, we don't like to think of the justice of God. But God is just and He is righteous. And any soul He sends to hell, He is righteous and just in sending that soul to hell. But thanks be to God tonight that He has sent the remedy. He has sent life. And that is in His Son. And so what must you do? You must come and believe in Christ. And you will be saved. Whoever believes and the Son has eternal life. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for the testimony of John the Baptist. And how He recognized that He must decrease, but Christ must increase. May we see that in our own lives as well. Now, Lord, I pray that You would work in the hearts of all who are here tonight. If there's anyone here that does not know Christ, that You and Your grace and mercy would show them their sin, that You would humble them and reveal to them their need of Christ. And may they take hold of Jesus. Come and cry out unto the Lord for forgiveness and salvation as they turn from their sin. Father, be gracious to sinners here this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.